is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 226 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Jesse D'Angelo all about how to write horror. But first, we have some questions from Anna Kaig's episode. A Mac Descendant says, I really enjoyed listening to the episode. Drilling down on what makes you human in this age of AI sounds a lot like Joanna Penn and all her positive AI content. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of Joe, and I probably used phrases that she uses because I listen to her podcast and I'm a patron of Joe. So um, yeah, that totally makes sense. I do hope that all her positivity is feeding into the community because she's amazing. Uh, so then we had Lou Morgan writer saying, uh, amazing. I had the privilege of hearing Anna Kaig speak at the RNA conference and I'm thrilled that she's on the podcast. Me too. She was lovely. Irene says, so cool and a great interview with plenty of useful info. I first met Anna years ago uh, at my very first ever writing course at... I'm not going to pronounce that. Um, out of all of the people on that course, Anna stood out and sh as she was fab company and ultra supportive. So in personal news and updates then, I have, uh, I finished the edits last week. I have had a fast reader turn around um, the book. They read it in a day. I was gobsmacked because the book is 104,000 words. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm really, really pleased. And uh, the feedback was great. I've still got a few little bits and bobs to change, but but I'm hoping I can get all of that done tomorrow and then get the book off to the editor. This is the first book in the um, Kingdom of Immortal Lovers series and the first book title is House of Crimson Hearts. And I think that I am going to be launching in February, which is like next month, which is super exciting. Um, and yeah, I am... Um, I'm going to be doing some exciting launch stuff, but once again, still not quite ready to talk about that stuff. I'm just waiting to hear back from one particular person and then I should know for definite that I'm going to do some something in particular. Um, but uh, what else can I tell you? I have decided to do something a little different with books two and three. I am going to, uh, once I've done the launch stuff and kind of sent that off and finished up the webinar... I'm going to outline both books two and three, and I'm going to draft them back to back. So it's going to be six weeks of drafting. And then, quite honestly, I'm mildly concerned for the two back to back weeks I will have of editing. But then the reason for me doing this is that I'll then have a book in the bank and I won't release them any quicker. Um, but what it will mean is that while the second book goes through all the launch stuff, the third book will be ready and just sat there waiting to go, which means by the time the book three goes up, I'll already be probably not even on like the first one in the whatever it is that I'm doing after that, but on the next one, which means that I can start to bank books because my ultimate goal at the moment is to get at least two books in the bank so that I have less pressure if I have life things or kid things or, or whatever. Um, I'm not always stressed <laughs> and firefighting and running up against um, things. So 
that's where I'm at. I also am starting to think about my annual end of year um, podcast. I don't normally think about it this early, but I feel like the last six weeks I have learned more than I have ever learned uh, in, in, in the whole of publishing. That's probably not true, of course, because when I came in, I knew fuck nothing. Uh, but that was years ago. And so obviously we get to this point in our careers where We've learned the majority of the basics and you sort of go through these plateaus. Uh, but because of everything that's been happening, um, because of the sort of book sale boom, it's I've really had to learn quite a lot of stuff quite rapidly in the last couple of weeks, not couple of weeks, six weeks, I would say. Um, and so I want to share that and I want to share all the things that I, you know, Shopify and TikTok and all of that stuff. But... <sighs> I don't do that until the end of April, I think it is, or beginning of April. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I might have to write some stuff down uh, now. So I've, I've got those lessons learned I'm thinking about. And of course, I'm also working on the webinar. And I did want to talk about this because as I have started to shape it, it's taken a slight detour, not a huge one, um, but I did want to talk about it. So the, the, the concept for the webinar is still the same. It's pros in the market. I'm running three session times to try and accommodate as many time zones as possible. Writing to market isn't new, but when teachers talk about it, they focus on understanding the market, advertising, brand, and pitch. But what about the writing and the craft of writing to market? If you're tired of trying to work out how to deliver what readers want, then this is the workshop for you. In this session, I'm going to explain how to deconstruct best-selling books and implement the tools you find, an easy three-step methodology for deconstruction, practical examples of deconstruction, and then showing you how you can implement it in your own work. We're going to talk a little bit about copywriting. Now, the bit that I am changing is just kind of, I guess, the quantity. So I think it's going to be 50-50 um, pros and kind of craft and writing to market. And then the other 50% of the session is going to be about pros your scenes and how you can slip in the uh, TikTokable and marketable uh, marketable scenes into your um, novel into your story like how do you intentionally slip those hooks in how can you plan those hooks in in advance so you're not kind of scrabbling to find the hooks and what we're going to do is we're going to look at um tiktok i'm going to bring tiktok up on my screen we're going to go and have a look at some viral tiktoks look at what worked we're going to deconstruct that we're going to look at um a little bit about the psychology behind it you know obviously i'm not a trained psychologist i have a background in psychology several years of it but no i mean that broadly in kind of like the story psychology and like what is working with readers and then look at some tactics for helping you then implement that in your own work as well. So I'm really excited about that. And that, I mean, I talked a little bit about this when I talked about the webinar before, and I did mention um, TikTokable and marketable scenes. But as I've started to do this, I've really gotten very excited about the content and what I can share with you and giving you some tips and tools. And the thing is, it's not just about TikTok, right? Let me be clear about that. This isn't um, exclusive to TikTok. This can be put across any of your marketing, any social media platform. This is more about hook and scene, like how can you 
How can you put hooks into your work? How can you understand why the hooks are working on social media? So yeah, I'm super excited for this. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about tropes, a little bit less perhaps than uh, we would have done just because I'm so excited about the marketable scenes and hooks. Um, and then of course, we're gonna do some live deconstruction in the session as well. You're also gonna receive a workbook containing exercises that you can um, do and go and implement away after the session. and more than anything, there's like a Q&A as well. So just like come and hang out with me. <laughs> We're going to like geek out and nerd out. I'm going to massively nerd out on you uh, about uh, hooks and scenes and marketing and also how you you know, seed that marketing into your novel, like the craft of that, the craft. What does it look like in the books? So yeah, please come and hang out with me. I'm super excited. The sessions are going to be recorded, but you will only be able to get that recording if you are uh, a, a ticket holder. So yeah. So I think that it is it for me. Like I said, I'm not quite ready to announce uh, all of the other things that I am doing, but uh, yeah. Okay, so the Rebel of the Week this week is Laura. Laura says, when, I, when COVID first hit and I started working from home, I suddenly had a lot more free time. I decided to make a commitment to write a novel, something I'd tried and given up on so many times over the years. The problem was my laptop was a piece of garbage and very frustrating to use. I wanted to buy a new one, but it would mostly be for my writing. Until I proved to myself I was going to keep the writing habit up long term, I wasn't willing to invest too much money. However, at the time, I was issued a work laptop to use while working from home. The laptop was brand new and miles better than my own crappy one. So occasionally I would type up some ideas for my novel onto my work laptop and save them to a USB. Pretty innocent stuff. Months passed <laughs> and things escalated. I was now using my work laptop instead of my own for my writing. I was even drafting out my novel on it. But my fears of getting caught were growing. I was working on the novel outside of work hours, but I'm sure I wasn't supposed to be using a work issued laptop for personal reasons. I would probably only be if I got caught though. But the thoughts of anyone reading my private writing was stomach churning. I kept imagining someone from IT looking through my work files and being very confused to find a messy first draft of a cosy queer YA novel. This situation went on for a year. Finally, I decided to... I'd proven my, to myself that I'd made a writing habit and I wasn't giving it up anytime soon. So I brought my own laptop and uh, now no longer have to fear any embarrassing work conversations. My husband is the only person I've ever told about this. As somebody who, someone who usually sticks to the rules, it was definitely risky and rebellious for me. Oh my God, I love, love, love this. I love that it's such a cheeky rebellion and also one that's like helping you reach your dreams as well. I think this is fantastic. If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. You can email your Rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome and a huge thank you to Tammy Tyree and Jen. And of course, an enormous thank you to all of my existing patrons. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content, you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And in case you don't know what those benefits are, we have the Poison and Prose sessions of which we I am hosting one this evening, which is where we come and hang out for 90 minutes, a couple of hours, uh, just as a community, we chat, uh, 
you guys ask me questions sometimes, sometimes I teach you a few things that I know, and sometimes we just write together. And then we also have the movie night, which I think is next week, and we're going to be watching the first episode of the new Percy Jackson on Disney together, and there's always a lot of laughter and uh, bants in the comments. And... Um, then we have the Slack community, which is over 100 authors in the community uh, where we talk, we help each other, we support each other through the good times and the bad, um, and we celebrate our successes as well. And then, of course, there is the masterclasses of which I am hosting the Amazon number one bestseller class uh, in March, where we will be deconstructing how two authors, one indie and one trad, have uh, made it to number one. Okay, that's it from me this week. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I'm joined by Jessie D'Angelo. Jessie was born in New York and was writing, drawing and acting in low-budget horror films at an early age. At 10, he moved to Los Angeles and grew up in the film industry, working as a production assistant, special effects artist, storyboard artist and script doctor, as well as writing and directing his own short films. Jesse now lives in Tennessee with his wife and son and is focusing on his dreams of being a novelist. His newest release is a special edition of his action-packed horror novel, Skinner. Hello and welcome. Hi, Sasha. Boy, I got to say, all of that sounds much better with an English accent. <laughs> Man, I, I got to... God, I got to hire you to be my PR person. Anytime <laughs> someone reads a bio, it should be you. But but you see, the thing is that all the greatest villains are usually British. I don't know what that is, but it's true. Well, you must know about well, that all the greatest, all, Sure, but so are all the greatest heroes. You got <laughs> James Bond, you got Sherlock Holmes, but now you also have who plays Superman, who plays Spider-Man, Englishman. Oh, that's guys true. Are, I didn't really think about it like that. Mm. Yeah. And who invented yeah. rock and roll? Mm. Well, it was the Mer <laughs> American bluesmen, but really it was the Brits that said like, hey, let's uh, let's take this uh, somewhere new and exciting. So <laughs> oh, anyway, well, thank glad, you for glad to be here. Me. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for joining me. Would you, would you want to go into a little bit more detail? Tell everyone a bit more about your story. Like, how did you get to where you are today? So, as you said, born in New York, my, my parents divorced and my mother remarried. And so she and my stepfather both got into the film industry. Uh, they started writing and directing these low budget films in New York and Canada when I was like eight years old. So I would act in those. And uh, right around when I was 10, we moved to Los Angeles and my stepfather started writing and producing you know, larger Hollywood films. So I kind of grew up in that world. So I would like work on films as a production assistant, uh, sometimes as an actor, sometimes I would do storyboards uh, or creature designs, character designs, that that kind of thing. I've worked in some special effects departments. So being in that world, I've gotten to work kind of all over the film industry and kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, but since I was a kid, I always wanted to, work in movies and also to write books. And uh, as of a few years ago, I really just got sick of the film industry and how corrupt and crooked it is. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm getting out of Hollywood. This is toxic. Uh, I'm moving down South where I have some family and I'm going to chase my other dream and, and write some books where, you know, and with film, it's all collaborative. You have to 
have a huge team of people all working in sync. You have to have money. You have to have all this stuff in order to miraculously get a movie out there. Write a book. It's just you. You know, you are in charge. You don't have to worry about anybody else pulling their their weight. So that that was really appealing to me. Uh, I could write a $200 million epic or what would be an epic film like that. Uh, but it doesn't cost any money because there's no budget. I can <laughs> let my imagination run, run wild. So, you know, all of that just really appealed. And, and I've been, I've been having a great time so far. I, I moved to Tennessee. I met my wife. Uh, I've written, I think eight books now <laughs> and working on, working on some more. So yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. So you write horror and horror is a bit of an enigma to me because I don't read it. Like just to confess, I, I mean, mm -hmm. if there's not kissing and probably vampires and maybe, you know, some magic fairies and a bit more kissing, I'm not, I don't really tend to read it. So um, <laughs> right. would you, can you start by defining horror for me? Cause I know, you know, I've heard terminology like elevated horror or, you know, all these horror. different things. And I never really know if horror is just about monsters, is it about the psychology? Like, what is the horror genre? I'd love to start with the basics. Well, the the basic. Well, first of all, I, I don't consider myself a horror author. Uh, most of my books tend to be in that horror spectrum, I'd say. I, I'd call it a spectrum because there's so much to it. Um, there's so many different things. There could be monsters. It could be a human villain. You know, there can be it could be psychological, disturbing horror, or it could be splatter fist, uh, splatter fest, shock horror. That kind. Of, it can really run the gamut. Uh, horror can incorporate elements of science fiction, uh, drama, romance. I mean, it can be a little bit of everything. And when I write, I I, I never think like I'm going to write a horror novel you know i just think i'm gonna this is a story i have in mind i'm gonna write it it's cool and oh this has got some elements of horror and oh this one's also got some elements of action and now uh, there's got to be a romance in there so, so i i put what i want in there and if it turns out leaning more towards horror than anything else great you know but for instance like the after the two books that i'm working on now i'm planning a, a sci-fi romance uh like murder mystery thing which i've been wanting to do for a while um so many of my books i would describe as action horror which i know is a term people don't use in publishing a lot they, they use uh, uh dark fantasy instead uh but since i come from like filmmaking background i, I like the term action horror because i think of movies like aliens or the blob or something that incorporates horror but also you know gunfights and car chases and explosions and all that because that's basically what the new book is it's sort of like a, a james bond story if james bond had to fight a bunch of monsters you know so it's it's action horror um but to answer the other question like how would i define horror really it just comes down to the you know a few key emotions you know obviously fear suspense uh, heartbreak, I'd say. I mean, it's it's very hard to have good horror while everything is just kind of like happy. Like being tragic is is a big part of it for me. You know, often like the the monster is a tragic figure, like the Frankenstein monster. You know, so it's really about just touching into the basic key human kind of fears 
and playing on them, you know, and there's a lot of them. We are balls of fear, you know, so we can, you can write a horror book that's just like quiet little suspenseful thing. And maybe there's ghosts and maybe there's a psychotic killer who's stalking somebody that's horror. Um, like Trent, would you call, uh, silence of the lambs horror or would you call it thriller? You know, I don't know. It's hard to say. It, it's, it's scary. It doesn't have any monsters in it. Nothing supernatural. But, you know, so it's like horror is one of those things that really kind of blends a lot of different elements together. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons that I, I don't like calling myself a horror author. Uh, I see a lot of horror authors and there's nothing wrong with this, by the way. I don't want anyone to think I'm criticizing this. Um, a lot of authors will use that as part of their like banner or like on their calling card on their website on their bookmarks it'll say such and such horror author or author of nightmares author of the macabre that kind of thing and i just felt like if i did that i i would be putting myself into a box and people would just want that from me just expect that from me and so i just kind of put author artist that's it jesse d'angelo author artist uh you know, maybe it'd be smarter for me to put myself in a box and kind of like focus in on one demographic. And some people say it's it's wiser to do that in a, from a marketing standpoint to give people the same product, let them know exactly what they should expect from you. Uh, and that's fine. But but me, this is the rebel podcast. So this is this is my rebel, my rebel way of thinking of just like, fuck it, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'll write horror in my next book. It'll be something else, you know. One of my books is this wacky horror comedy where, you know, werewolves take over the world. And instead of a zombie apocalypse, it's a werewolf apocalypse. And it's like wacky, zany and, you know, silly fun. So I, I just write what makes me happy. And most of the time it involves monsters or some kind of violence. So <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question, but there so you go. You, you spoke about the expectations and kind of like the the emotions that readers have. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Like what mm -hmm. are, you know, the way that a lot of us market now is by <clears throat> talking about the tropes. Mm -hmm. The tropes that you often see in particular genres, you know, whether it be a maverick detective or, you know, the dark and brooding uh, lover in uh, mm -hmm. fantasy romance, for example. Um, like, what are some of the tropes or expectations that readers have in in kind of the darker, more macabre, more horror bent novels? Like you you mentioned heartbreak. Like, what does that look like? What are yeah? To talk to me more about the tropes and expectations. So, I mean, there are different parts of horror, right? So there's this one category of horror, extreme horror, and there's side side category splatter punk and you know those those people they want as much gore as possible you know they want it to be as messy as possible um as as far as tropes that i like tropes i like to use um i stick with the basics uh really i i try to mix up the tropes anytime i see something that has been used too much i try to i try to turn it on its head and tropes can be confused with cliches often but really it's like you know, you have, for instance, there's like two different versions of the story where the person either thinks they're going into the, the protagonist thinks they're getting into something that is just it's just a joke. It's just it's not real. This is all make believe. But then it turns out, oh, no, it's very real. Right. 
So that's one half of that coin. And the other, the other side of that coin is you go through the whole story believing that it's real. And then at the very end, aha, it was all, it's not all real. It's all in your imagination. It's all, you know, happening within the little snow globe on the villain's desk or something, you know, that kind of like, it's either you think it's real and then they switch it or you think it's not real and then they switch it. Right. Um, you've got tropes like, you know, my least favorite is like the amnesia trope, you know, the hero who doesn't know that he or she, who, who they are, they have to discover themselves along the way. You know, th that one's a bit tired. The whole, the protagonist being the chosen one is a bit tired. You know, those all lend to the stories kind of going in predictable paths. You know, and that's why when you start reading or start watching a movie or something, most of the time, you're like, eh, I know where this is going. I've seen this trope before. Um, and that's okay. Like, tropes and cliches get a bad name. I, I use them. Everybody uses them. The question is, how do you use them? How do you execute that? You know, um, some tropes and cliches exist because they work. And if it yeah, works, I, great. I, I great. read enemies to lovers almost exclusively because that's what I love. That's what I if it's not if it if it's enemies to lovers, I'm very likely to pick it up. You know, like I want authors to market me, you market yeah. to me using their tropes because then I know what to expect in the novel. That doesn't mean that they can't twist it up and make it fresh. Um, it yeah. just means that I know what I'm getting and I'm getting what I want. <laughs> and there's and there's nothing wrong with that. There's here's here's a trope and it's not really a trope about writing it's more of a trope about how writers think which is that um you just have to be as original as possible like originality is king right and really you know as a writer there's there's no original stories there's no story that hasn't been told in one way or another um so what i like to say is it, originality of execution is far more important than originality of content, right? Because and let me use a food metaphor, right? Uh, everyone likes food. So I like to use food metaphors. Let's say, hmm, Sasha, what off the top of your head, what's like a food you love? Pizza, burgers, salad. what do you love? I'm a vegetarian, what? so salad. <laughs> salad. Okay, what's... What's like a great, most delicious salad that you that you love? Oh my gosh! Um, a quinoa salad. Quinoa salad. All right. So let's just say you go to your favorite restaurant. You get your favorite quinoa salad. It's got the squeeze of tangerine. It's got nuts and all it, and it's got exactly what you expect, right? Well, you go somewhere else. You order the same quinoa salad. They give it to you. It's delicious. Well, it's not original they're not doing anything new and different it's the same old quinoa salad but it's delicious and you love it so you know or like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich how many times you've had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich you know there's nothing new there's nothing novel about it but it's delicious it'll fill you up it's good you know so it's the same thing with storytelling so many people are like oh I'm trying to come up with an idea for a book but can't come up with anything original and it's like man you don't have to come up with something original just come up with something good and simple, but tell it in an original way. Put your yeah. spin on it, you know. So it's it, it, once again, it's like it's like restaurants and food. 
you know, people can come up with like a super original dish that you've never heard of before. That doesn't mean it's going to taste good. You know, most people would rather come into the restaurant and have their favorite quinoa salad or their favorite burger or slice of pizza or whatever. People want, you know, plain cheese pizza or pepperoni pizza. They don't want pizza with, you know, 10 wild, weird things on it. Yeah. And the so, pizza never tastes the same in each of the different restaurants anyway, which is which is the point that you're making. I, mean, I, I love that. I really do like that analogy. Right. Just do something well. Just do something simple. But do it well. That's it. If you come up with something original that no one's ever done before, great. But don't make that the marker of like, oh, if I don't come up with absolute originality, I can't write it. You want to write a horror story? Write a good horror story. Well, let's go back to, to you acting in low budget horror movies um Uh and and also the fact that you've created kind of um art and special effects uh stuff Uh as well so like what what did you take from that like what were the lessons that you learned like about storytelling from from those experiences well from those experiences since it was like mostly low budget filmmaking you know working with people who were had very little money often didn't have the experience they needed to pull off what they were doing. Sometimes like there's one job that I had to do like a full makeup prosthetic on an actress. And I'd never done anything like that before, but I was the only one on set who was remotely artistic or had any makeup experience. So I I had to do it. So there's a lot of like working on the fly, doing the best you can. And that kind of informs my writing more from like a, a perspective of, of commerce than like how I go about writing. Like I think about writing in more of a business-like way, like as if you're shooting a movie, like we've got to get this done. We only have a certain amount of time, certain amount of resources, you know, we're going to finish it. Bing, bang, boom, get it done, do the best you can. And it's that, that sort of mentality. And also just having fun with it. Cause all those old movies that I was in when I was a kid, it was me and my family and a lot of their friends and we'd hire some actors, but it was like, it was like a family affair. So it was fun. And I was a little kid who loved monsters working on monster movies. So what I really took away from it is like, have fun, get on with it, do like, do the job quickly, do it as well as you can, but have fun. You know, as far as actual like storytelling, you know, I learned I learned that from like my mother, my stepfather. They they taught me how to write. Uh, you know, they they taught me how to read. We Did watched you... movies together, read books. So they they taught me about that. But as far as like the special effects and the acting, it, that taught me like just have fun, get it over with, get it not get it over with. That sounds bad, but get on with it, have fun. You know. So what about like when you were a director then? Perhaps maybe you got more storytelling lessons or or kind of what was your relationship with story as a director? Like what did you what did you take from it and those experiences? Right. Sure. Well, just just to be clear, I I've only directed like a handful of short films and music videos, so I don't <laughs> I don't have some director filmography or anything like that. But um first of all, directing is is so much different than writing a short story or writing a book because it's collaborative, right? You, you can write something, but then you have to be able to actually put it on screen. You have to work with other people. You have to make sure that they're doing their part. So 
really it's directing is more about like playing the coach and the team leader to a, a whole group of people and trying to turn that into one kind of cohesive story rather you mean, than you mean like being an author and and kind of coercing all your characters to do what you want <laughs> well it's sort of like when you're an author you you do everything yourself you are the characters you are the location everything just comes out of you if you're making a, a short film even it's like every little thing you have to trust somebody else for unless you're like animating your little toys stop motion toys and you're doing it all yourself so with film it, it really kind of taught me about compromise how to spend money wisely, you know, where, where you need to spend money on a budget to make a film where you can cut corners. Um, and then, yeah, certain things, I mean, it really teaches you how to edit if anything, because there are things where like I'd write a little bit in a script and then we put it on screen and I'm watching like, ah, that's not as funny as it was in the script, you know, or, Oh, this move, this shot, I really love it, but it doesn't connect well with this shot. We got to lose it. So it really kind of teaches you to, to kill your darlings and, you know, be able to cut this bit out, cut that bit out, change things as it needs to be changed. Um, so it makes you really not precious, you know, and, and I'm not precious at all with my words, or if I make a short film, like I want to hear critiques. I, I want to hear what's wrong with it because I want it to be as good as possible and, and try to do the best I can with it. Um, so yeah, that definitely definitely helps you kind of grow a thicker skin and you know be able to kill your darlings so to speak yeah absolutely the thing I struggle with most in the uh, writing process is the editing I and it's not because I don't like killing my darlings I have no problems with that I just find editing um so critical um and so mm -hmm. it puts me in a negative mindset because I'm intentionally looking for errors I'm intentionally looking for the things that are wrong or not as good as they can be um mm -hmm. and so yeah I struggle with editing yeah I love reason. that oh no I hate it I love drafting I have the most fun when I'm drafting like I would yeah. prefer to draft and never have to edit ever <laughs> I, I try I try to find fun in every aspect of it because if I if I don't find fun in it I'm not going to do it mm. like I if if I have to, if if I have a writing assignment and someone says like here write a historical romance novel it has to be very serious and dour and can't have any comedy in it can't have I'd be like I'd really struggle like even if they paid me it's like it would be a slog trying to write that and edit it and it's like everything I do I try to have fun so the drafting process writing outlining the editing process like I find that fun and if I didn't make it fun for myself it would be tedious um but yeah, editing editing can be fun because you, first of all, it takes however long it takes to write your first draft. So when you go back to the beginning of your first draft and you start reading it, it's fresh in your mind again. You're like, oh yeah, I did write. Oh, that was a good little description that I did. So you're kind of enjoying it the way a reader can, but you're also picking out things that you can fix. And it's like, yeah, you can think of it as critical, but that's fine because as you're fixing it, you're making it better. And you see in front of your eyes this thing coming to life and getting better and like this thing, like, Oh, that was so good before I thought that chapter was so good. 
and it didn't need anything. But now reading it back, it's like, oh, no, it needed this and it needed this and it. And you fix it. And like, oh, wow. Now it's a lot better. And it's just it's all part of the process. Yeah. You know? Not going to convince me. <laughs> I, uh, well, I'm not I, trying to. I'm just, no. <laughs> you know, telling you how I how I do it. You know, I, uh, by the time I'm done with the edits, I'm I'm all good and I'm happier again, which is why I condense editing into a week. Like I never allow it to go over a week because otherwise, psychologically, I'm just a mess by the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I am always like there are moments of, you know, you read a chapter and you think, yeah, I executed that well or, or whatever. But um, it's certainly my, it's like everybody has that one bit of their job that they don't, I would prefer to do admin and emails more than I would editing. <laughs> and all my right. fucking accounts, like, right? Like that should tell you yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, the, the one thing that I wish I didn't have to do. And unfortunately it's a necessity in this day and age is I, I don't want to do my own marketing and promotions. You know, I, I mean, look, I'm fine with, like, I love going on podcasts like this and talking to people and shooting the shit and whatever, but it's like buying ads online. And do you buy Amazon ads? Do you buy Facebook ads? How do you place them? Where do you do it? How, how do you make the algorithm work for you? It's like, if, if you don't like you know. doing ads, why not do things like TikTok if you like talking and you don't mind being in front of a screen, right? You have experience acting. That's all sure. TikTok is. It's performance. I, I do have TikTok. You do? Uh, I don't I don't use it very much because I'm, I'm an old-fashioned kind of guy, first of all. <laughs> so I do have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. But mostly I use Facebook because I'm an old geezer. Uh, but it's just there's not enough time in the day to to do all the social media stuff that they say that you're supposed to do like part of the part of the problem is um algorithms constantly changing algorithms on social media um engagement it's like when i first started publishing so i first started self-publishing now i'm working with a publisher but you know you'd, you'd post ads for your books on your page on you know, book pages, group pages and whatever. And you wouldn't get anybody really replying and maybe get a handful of likes. Nobody would go to the website. No one would buy it. And you're like, what, what's going on? And, and then I learned like, well, you have to, you have to engage more with people. You can't just go online and advertise your book. You have to like go to these groups and spend time forming relationships with these people and, you know, commenting on their posts. And, you know, the more you engage with other people's posts, the more the algorithm sees you engaging, the more they see your posts, et cetera. So it's like this whole. I I don't necessarily buy that. Um, I'm I'm pretty good on TikTok. I've got my TikTok to sort of go micro viral recently. And it, you know, I don't spend eons of time on it. I spend 10 minutes a day and I post yeah. consistently. Half of it is about consistent posting. Um, and I mm-hmm. don't do any of that kind of, uh, other than replying to my own, com- to comments on, on my posts. I don't really do any of that engaging stuff. I use it as a marketing platform because at the moment mm-hmm. it's ad free. So it's completely organic juice that's, you know, mm-hmm. getting people to to your book. So I'm not sure I buy that. I, I'm going to refer you to Adam Beswick. He's got a um yeah. a brand new Facebook group that that's sort of te- and he's going to be doing some teaching that'll teach you all about TikTok and, and sure. how to get it going. That's that's basically what I did, and and you know I've sure. quadrupled my income over the last couple of months. So um, it's, well, that it's sounds doable. good to me. Exactly. It's very, very doable. Oh, yeah. Um, I I have a lot to learn. I mean, look, I've been telling people this for the last three years. 
is that I, I've spent my entire life learning how to write, learning how to draw, but only the last two or three years trying to figure out marketing on social media. It's like, but when you're an author and you're especially self-publishing, like there's no class that you can take to get like, you have to basically figure it out on your own. I mean, yeah, you can go to college and take university courses and learn about algorithms and social media and, and you know, get good about marketing. But if you haven't done that, if you're just an author and you're coming out, you basically have to, you know, trial and error, figure things out on your own. So that's what I've been doing. Uh, advertising, posting things, sharing things. I've been trying everything I can think of. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but I'm very open to learning and growing and well, a lot think, of learning to do. I so. think your secret holy grail might well be TikTok because of your background and because of your experience with performance. I think mm -hmm. you might might have something there. But let's let's talk about um what is scary. Like how okay. do you pick what monster you're going to have or what psychological fear you're going to play on or what the sort of dangerous kind of, you know, scary elements are? How do you pick that? Um, and, and how do you actually like make it scary? Right. Okay. Well, let's well, start those with are... how you pick it first. How do you? Sure. Two very different questions. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how I would pick it, it's so... It's hard to describe because I don't really pick it like that, the way you phrased it. It's more like I've got like a dozen ideas in my head at any one time, and they're all kind of screaming at me. Like they're all kind of saying like, hey, I'm over here. Write me. No, no. Write me first. It's a, and they just kind of come to me. Like I, I never like sit around thinking of like, let me come up with a story idea. Let me come up with a new monster. It's just like. The, the, the ideas okay. just kind of come so, into my head and happen. So let me change um, a question then. Talk to the newer writers on uh, who are listening. Ha tell them how to craft and create a scary monster or a scary psychological fear or, you know, the, the scare factor element in a horror novel. Right. So to, to create fear, you really have to do a couple things. First of all, you have to do things that, are required in any genre, not just horror. You have to come up with a compelling plot and compelling characters. Uh, I want to see character. I want to see a protagonist that I care about and that I want to root for. Uh, I want to see an antagonist that I hate and want to root against. And and I want a story that is compelling. I want to see what the protagonist is going after. And I want to feel the suspense of that. So once you have established that your lead character or characters are likable, relatable. Relatable is important because the, the reader has to be able to say like, ah, that character's like me or that character's like my best friend. You know, once they can relate to the character, that puts the reader into the story. Then once the reader is in the story, you use things like details to really kind of uh, – make them feel the sensory experience. You know, you, you want them to, you want to describe what the characters are seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, feeling. I like to put all of that sensory stuff into my story so that now you have characters that you like, you can relate to, and now they're in an environment where you can smell, you know, the sweet and salty aromas from the street vendors as they walk by and you could feel the crisp wind blowing between the buttons and their clothes. And the more you kind of immerse 
the reader into this environment and you know take them on the journey with the character the more they're going to care about that character and then the more that they're going to actually be afraid when something happens or or threatens to happen you know and the other part is suspense you have to gradually build up that suspense once you do that you, you know your characters are your readers are in suspense your characters are in danger and everything else from that is pretty simple it's like it's it's not brain surgery you say simple but i've never written horror and all of the elements that you've said i do in my fantasy novels right so i have a character that's relatable and likable i have a villain that people want to hate we have the sensory Mm -hmm. detail but that still doesn't tell me like what sets romance for okay maybe romance is the wrong thing what sets an epic fantasy novel apart from a horror novel right because you don't write those the same I wouldn't necessarily Mm -hmm. be trying to create fear in the way that um a horror novel would I'd I'd be more trying to you know create the heart pounding pace of of action perhaps that would be shared but I'm really curious about that fear and that monster and you know what makes that so different from every other kind of story like what are what are the skills that you're bringing as a as a as a horror well horror adjacent author sure well the the fantasy question is is really interesting because you know once again that's a genre that really blurs into horror a lot Mm. like if you take Lord of the Rings, for instance, the first one to come to mind, you know, you've got these big sweeping epic adventures. Um, but at the same time, you've got these orcs and dragons and demons and, you know. Would you class it as horror? Well, that's the question. I you know, a, a, a two-year-old, a five-year-old might think it's horror. They might be terrified by some of the, you know, special effects in, in those movies, you know. But then mm. an adult wouldn't be so it, it, it's really a question of you know extremes i would say or maybe that's not the best word but it's like how how, how far do you go with it you know lord of the rings i, I haven't read the books by the way i'll admit <laughs> i've never <laughs> been interested in reading the books after watching the movies i was like eh, that's okay i'm not interested in the books and everything that people have told me about the books i was like eh, no doesn't sound like my cup of tea <laughs> but you've got all these these monsters and these things that could potentially be scary, but really the focus is on the action. And, and I don't think the monsters or any of the, the evil entities in that really do anything that's described in, you know, explicit detail. You know, there's the, it's, it's kept fairly family friendly. There's no cursing. There's no sex. Um, that's something, I mean, you don't have to have sex in in horror but if you if you have you know some explicit sex and some real adult themes you know a lot of cursing a lot of very mature things going on that will make things more mature you know than just like gallivanting knights fighting dragons and stuff like that you know uh, it's it's typically darker themes with horror like if i was gonna if i was gonna write like a a story about a dragon, let's say, that's fantasy, the dragon might kill people, it might blow fire, but really it would be more of like an action thing. Maybe the dragon buddies up with a little boy, or the dragon is maybe a hero or something like that, right? Now, if I wanted to tell a story about a dragon that's horror, what I would probably do is not show the dragon at all until like 
maybe the end, show show the dragon in bits and pieces, have the dragon do things that are more sinister than just blowing fire and just eating people. Like eating people is not enough. He's got to have something like malevolent. The, the dragon's got to have a character. He's got to have ambitions and fears. And, you know, the more of a character that you make it with motivations, um, the more interesting it is. It's not just, you know, a monster out to gobble someone up, you know? So with horror, I'd have like some people trying to kill the dragon, dragons killing a bunch of people. We only see it in little bits and pieces. I'd have some like, you know, some sexual kind of side plot or something going on. I'd try to make it as mature as possible and not not like a silly kind of thing like Aragon. Not that Aragon's silly, but something that's like you would not want to show kids. So I just I just push it as far as I can. I make it as explicit as I want. Uh, I have it as violent as I want, as sexy as I want. Sometimes I have to pare that back. Like uh, when I was first writing uh, Skinner, the first draft of Skinner, um, I was like, All right, this is going to be like action packed, but also horrific and also really sexy. I want it like really sexy. So I like wrote this first sex scene and I sent it off to to one of my friends who's an editor and he comes back he's like this is terrible and i said what what do you mean he's like the sex scene is terrible and i said well, how is it how's it terrible and he says well it, it it feels like i'm reading like penthouse letters it's like you know you're describing like oh she's she stroked the hard shit you know I was, I was trying to describe everything and i realized like oh it's like i'm writing erotica like you know i don't want it to be that explicit you know because then it goes over the line and becomes erotica. It's like really trying to find that line of like, you know, if it was a movie, it would be like rated R, you know, where you see some nudity, you see some kissing, it gets steamy, you know, but you never see any penetration or anything like that. So you walk that line, but, but with horror, especially horror for adults, it's like you, you want to, you want to push it as far as you can, you know, for, for the adults, what what are some of the mistakes either you see newer horror writers making or that maybe you learned to avoid uh, in your journey? Uh, writing horror specifically, obviously. <laughs> I mean, one mistake that I see is, um, and we've already talked about this, is, is people trying to be so super original. And, you know, and they come out with something like, oh, I've got this great original book. It's like, okay, but it's not very good, is it? <laughs> it's original but i don't want to have to tell you this it's you know kind of sucks um that's that's one a another mistake i'd say is showing the monster too early um and also not kind of building up to the monster enough if you're writing something with a monster uh, i i read i didn't read the whole book i i stopped because i was i was not liking it but i started reading this one book from an author i will not name and like the very first page of the book is the monster attacking and there's blood and guts and the monsters described in vivid detail and whatnot. And, you know, sure, this, depending on the circumstance, that could be used. Like, you know, maybe sometimes you show the monster up front, depending on how you want to tell the story. But for me, I, I would build up to it, at least give like, you know, a few pages so that like, maybe you see a quick glimpse of the monster at the end of chapter one, 
I wouldn't start with it right there, you know? And there's another book where uh, also another author I don't, I won't name, you know, there's a monster, it's hunting people, it's living in a cave. We don't see it. We don't see it. And then finally we see it, but it's like every time he would describe it, it would just be like, oh, there it is. It's like, oh, and there it was. And it killed the person. I was like, well, you got to. You kind of build up to it, you know. It's it's almost like you're seducing the reader. You got to put on a little mood music. You got to dance a little bit. You got to tease them with the monster a little bit. So that's that's another mistake. You gotta you gotta treat the monster right or treat the horror right. You gotta lead up to it, build up to it. Suspense is a lot more, you know, important than any of the you know any of the descriptions that you could give us about how hideous the monster is or how disgusting the blood is. It's like anybody can describe a hideous monster or describe, you know, the contents of someone's innards spilling out onto the floor like that. That's not hard. The the trick is creating the suspense, you know, and that just comes from having characters that you like, having a compelling story, and telling it in an exciting way with, you know, good pacing, good tone, and all of that. And if you get all of that going, you don't have to have the most creative, you know, original monster. You don't have to have tons of blood and gore. You know, you, your your audience will be there with you through that. It's, it's much more psychological than anything else. What craft tips do you have to help listeners elicit fear, like a, a fear response in their readers? Yeah. That's a tricky one. I mean, I, I'm trying to come up with good answers for you here. <laughs> As if I am, you know, an expert who really knows all of these answers. I mean, really, I, I can't, I'm not going to lie and say like, you should do this. I know what you should do because really I'm I'm trying to figure it out as I go with with each book I write each scene I go back and I edit and I try to eh, how can I make this scarier how can I make this scarier um god as far as things being scary I I really I don't think of horror any differently than I think of any other genre that I would write whether it's romance comedy anything it's like give me good characters give me a good uh, story good plot and write it well. I mean, that that seems simple enough. And obviously, there's a lot of mechanics that go into that. But if you want to write a horror story and you want it to be scary, just create good characters, a good plot, you know, something that makes sense. It can be super simple. And just tell it right. You know, don't have a shitload of typos. You know, have some decent style to your writing. Don't be boring. If you do all of that, it will just be scary. You know, you don't have to have a lot of tricks where you like use certain words to describe blood or or whatnot. You know, um, I mean, there are little tricks and there are things that I do like, you know, I always try to mix up the pacing of my prose. Like I don't want to have too many long sentences one after another, maybe have like two short sentences and then a long sentence and a medium sentence and then maybe like a one word thing. You know, so I have down, never read a horror novel. Mm -hmm. So talk to me like the idiot that I am. How do you write horror? Like I would not even know where to begin. It's like you, I know that you're saying. I think the thing is you're so good at it, and it's so natural for you that um, 
like maybe you think I know more than I don't, but I really know nothing. Like I, I literally, honestly, my my naive response would be, so what? I create a monster and then just get it to kill people. Like is that yeah. horror? <laughs> well, it it can be, it can be, or that could be comedy. That could right. be a comedy. What you just described, really, uh, you, you are not giving yourself enough credit. You know horror. Everybody know if you know fear. Have you ever been afraid of something? I, you say you have. You're a mother, right? I'm afraid of getting in my plunge pool because it's really fucking cold. <laughs> okay, I don't but, really. So I don't really do. I'm not. There are very. I don't really like spiders. That's about it. I would say in terms well, of like, I don't feel fear very often. That's well. That's not. I don't mean spiders. I mean like, for instance, you have people in your life that you care about, people that you love. Yes, family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would you be terrified if one of them was in a car, uh, in a river, drowning? It's like, yeah, that's terrifying. All of us would be, if someone broke into your house at night and you woke up and you were tied to a chair and your child was across the room tied to another chair and they holding a knife to your child's throat, that's fucking terrifying. Okay, but no, this this is what I'm talking about. Those things don't come to me as ideas because I write about romance and love, right? So for me, I'm That's like, fine. oh, now I'm getting it, right? Like now I understand what you're saying. Like I have no concept of what horror or, or yeah. how to even start doing that because that's just not what i write you know well that's fine and look if, if that's not something that naturally comes to you if it feels like something that you would have to like really push yourself yeah. to find then maybe like you shouldn't try to do that like it's it's okay like if somebody came to me and said can you write a romance you know drama just like a sense and sensibility <laughs> kind of thing you know it's like my wife would love that she she <laughs> loves jane austen uh, like oh pride and prejudice you're writing something like pride like great but I would really struggle with something like Pride and Prejudice. Like, like I could write it. It's like, oh, you get get a couple people in the 1800s and he's rich and she's not. And they meet in the in the rolling hills and he has a horse and they fall in love, but then they fight and then they get back together. Like, I know how how it should go, but it just doesn't come to me. It's not it's not something that is interesting to me, you know, that just springs into my mind like it no, might that, spring that's... into your mind. You know? 100% but that's why I'm trying to draw out from you like what this looks like like what does it look like on the page right. so now you've said giving me those couple of examples that makes a lot more sense so now I'm like oh okay so I think about nightmare like not a nightmare at night when I'm dreaming but like a kind yeah. of horrible life experience and it's those kinds of yeah. things that you do so how do horror books end like do they because like, obviously <laughs> I write romance so they all have happy ever afters like how do you get a satisfying ending in a horror novel what is the reader expectation so people who read horror obviously have certain expectations about endings what what are those endings like what do they look like how do you make it satisfying well well there's there's basically two basic endings that you could have in a horror novel happy ending sad ending either the the main characters survive and the monster or the psychopath is killed and everyone's happy or you can have the you know the the psychopath or the monster wins and everyone's killed and oh you know God. it's a really dire ending and some people want that i mean look this is the thing there's a lot of different uh 
subgenres of horror. You know, there's mm. classic horror, there's extreme horror, it's splatter punk, there's gothic horror, there's cozy horror. Cozy horror? You, what is that? Well, if you're not a horror fan, and like if you were thinking of like, oh, I might read my first horror novel, try to dip your toes into it, I would recommend to check out an author named Darcy Coates. Um, she's very good. She writes these like kind of haunted house books and they're what you would call cozy horror, which basically means it's a haunted house story. It's horror, but she never gets really dark with it. Like the hero usually wins. Everything usually ends up fine. There's no like explicit sex or drugs or, you know, violence. You know, there's some violence, but there's not a lot of blood and gore. So it's for people who just want something that's kind of like spooky and suspenseful. And, oh, there's a ghost, but, you know, not too bad. So there's all these different kinds of horror and people want different things. People read a Darcy Coates book. They don't want like a really fucked up, disturbing ending. But someone like me, I, I might like that. I like it all. Like I like to read a book where there's a good happy ending and everybody wins. But I also like to read a horror book where, you know, it's really fucked up and I go, oh, shit, <laughs> you know. So really horror is about surprising people. Um, it's really kind of parallel with comedy, which is like – Comedy comes from surprise, not all the time, obviously. Like when people laugh at a joke or something, it's usually because like they're not expecting it. They're surprised by it in some way. You know, it comes comes from an angle that you weren't expecting. And it's and it's kind of the same with horror. You do things, you try your best to do things that the reader is not expecting. Or if they are expecting, they're not expecting it in that way. And um and, you know, that's how I did. So I don't try to think like, well, it's a horror audience. I better give them a happy ending or I better give them a dour ending. I, I don't think in terms of genre. I, I just think, what's the best story I can tell? What are the best characters I can come up with? You know, what's what's popping into my head right now? Uh, well, right now, for some reason, this like time travel thing popping into my head and, you know, whatever it is. And. Yeah, if it's horror, then I will say like, oh, I got to try to make it as scary as possible. Um, with my horror comedy book, I was like, ah, I'm just going to make it as funny as possible. I'm not trying to make it scary, you know, and each thing really kind of ha- demands its own recipe. You know, and I try not to do the same recipe over and over again. Uh, if If I have one critique of Darcy Coates, it's that she does the same thing and over and over again. And and that's fine. A lot of a lot of authors do that. It's like they find their niche, they know what their readers want, and they do that. And so Darcy Coates has written like 25 haunted house books or something like that. And they all have like a black cover with like a ghostly blue on the front. And you know, they're they're all very similar. They're all very good, but I've read like four of them. She and I have had a little um talk here and there online she's a very nice person um so yeah i mean she's she's smart she found out what her audience wants they want this specific kind of book and she's going to give it to them and that's great um for me if i tried to do that like stick to a formula and write the same kind of structure every time i I would get bored so i mean if you were to look through my books and just look at the descriptions of each and the covers of each it's like wow each one is really different (laughs) 
you know, like the new one, the, you know, that I just put out Skinner, it's like action horror, very spicy. Um, the one that's coming out next is a, a sequel to the first extreme horror book that I did called dying sheep. And I'm not even extreme horror kind of guy, you know, I, I like classic horror, but extreme horror is getting really big. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to throw my hat into the mix. I'm going to do an extreme horror novel, uh, novel, novella, excuse me, um, my way. I'm going to, you know, so basically it's turned into like a Friday the 13th nightmare on Elm street kind of boogeyman thing where there's a, a killer and he stalks, you know, a bunch of young kids and it's really gruesome. Uh, but I put my own spin on it and it's kind of half satire, you know, so it's kind of half making fun of the genre while it also honors the genre. So really like each one, you know, has its own thing that I'm going for. Um, okay. ultimately as, as long as the, as long as the reader is entertained and, you know, it makes them think. I don't know. I'm I'm happy if they laugh at a comedy. I'm happy if they, if they're scared and have suspense during a horror. I'm I'm happy. But each each thing is its own recipe. Well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Oh God! So. I'm kind of a rebel. Uh, I don't know if some of my more juicy ones, I don't think I could actually say on the air, uh, but let's see something. All right. Do, do you want something that actually involves writing or something? No, not necessarily. Kind of... It can be, it can be anything. All right. Well, so one of the, one of the movies I was working on when I was, uh, I think 19 or 20, uh, I won't say the name of the movie, but it was kind of a mid-budget movie, and I was working as a production assistant on it. And for anybody who doesn't know, that's basically a, a peon, a grunt, you know. Um, and most of the people on the crew were, were really cool, and I had a friend of mine working, and, um, but there were a few people that just did not like me, and I did not like them either. The unit production manager, the first AD, the second AD, I think even one of the producers, um, you know, there's a, there's a few people that I was just like locking horns with. Most of the time I, I, I get along with everybody, but God, these, these people were like really giving me a hard time about several things. One of them had to do with my art and I like showed somebody some drawings I did. Like, why are you showing your stupid art around? I was like, I'm just showing, you know, long story short, they were really, really pushing me one night. And we were in the desert, like in the mountains in the desert. It was late at night. And one of them just said the wrong thing and pushed me too far. And I was like, you know what? I'm I'm out of here. I'm quitting this shit. But before I quit, I made sure to do it publicly. So, you know, as a PA, you have a, a walkie-talkie. And once you click that button to speak, no one else can speak until you release the button. So the last thing I did before I drove out of there as I took my walkie-talkie, clicked the button, I said, attention, everybody, this is Jesse. Uh, and I said something to the effect of, like, uh, I'm going to make a few of you very happy. I'm getting the hell out of here. I quit. You can all fuck off. I, you know, and I basically just, like, spent a couple minutes just telling them all off. Uh, and then I just dropped the the walkie-talkie, got in my car, and, and sped out of there. And I do remember... <laughs> That as I did it, I started up my car and I had a CD in the car of uh, Slash. 
Slash's Snake Pit. It was like after he had left Guns N' Roses, he had his own band. And there was this one song called Mean Bone. It was queued up. And as I started, that song came in and it was just like, oh, the perfect song to just hit the gas and speed out of there while giving them a middle finger. It was like, <laughs> oh, it's just just perfect. You know, so that that's maybe one rebellious thing that I could actually talk about without the authorities coming after me. No, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. Uh, the Rebel Stories always make the show. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And would you like to tell everyone where thank they can you. find out more about you, your books and anything else you'd like to add? Well, I mean, you could come to my house and just kind of knock on the windows and hound me <laughs> and, you know, harass me until I tell you. Um, but it, it'd be much easier to just go on online. Uh, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. And yes, I am on TikTok, but but clearly I need to expand that and get with my social media game a bit better. Uh, I have a website, jessedangelo.net. Uh, it's not .com because somebody somewhere for some reason already has jessedangelo.com. So it's jessedangelo.net. And uh, Skinner, the new book is out now. It is through Encyclopocalypse Publications. And um, you can get get it at buyhorrorbooks.com. That'll take you to the Encyclopocalypse uh, website. And, uh, and you can buy that book. And then you can go to my website and you can buy all of my other books and tell your friends and family to buy all of my books and then tell them to tell their friends. You know, basically you know, like a human viral kind of thing, like old fashioned human viral where everybody just kind of tells everyone how great I am. Uh, that's what people can do. Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank I'm you, Sasha. Sasha. You are most welcome. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Jesse D'Angelo and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm going to be talking to the lovely Audrey Huey, and we're going to be talking all about planning for authors in 2024. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.